0: And his mom. And Jesus is actually at this point on the cross, and he says this from the cross. Here's how it goes John 19, 25 to 27. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus, who's on the cross at this point, saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother, and from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. I want to pray for us. We're talking about parents tonight, um, and, and I hope for you uh, we rightly wrestle with it. For, for some of us it's going to be heavy because we have very broken parent stories. For some of us the temptation could be, "All oh, my parents are fine, and I hope we sort of reconsider some of that as we, as we look at this tonight. But let me pray for us as we get into it, and then we'll talk about what I want to talk about. Father, we, we do thank you, as Scott said, that um, you are the only one you're the only parent, you are the only father who loves us perfectly and who can give us the kind of love that all of us are so desperate for. Uh, the love of being fully known uh, through and through all our, all our struggles, all our sin, all our insecurities, and actually fully and truly loved, with a love that will never stop with a love that will never go away with a love that will never disappoint. And Lord, I pray as we think about this commandment and and how seriously you take this commandment and and how seriously you take this relationship that we have, that you've given us between our father and our mother and us, that you would just give us grace. Um, Lord, uh, I pray that you would break hard hearts. Lord, I pray that you would mend broken hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us. We thank you that you're a God that meets us not where we should be, but that you meet us where we are. We pray these things. We pray that you would bless our time together. We pray them in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start tonight with a pretty simple question, and it's this. What's the worst thing that you've ever done toward your parents? The worst thing, the the most awful thing you've ever done toward your mom or your dad? Uh, when I think about that question, mine immediately comes to mind. Uh, I was in 7th grade, which is funny that Scott mentioned in 7th grade. Sometimes I feel like Jesus needs to heal all of us in 7th grade um, because it was such a weird time for some of us. 7th grade, though, my parents uh, were going through a really hard, pretty messy divorce. And my mom, through that, she'd become a Christian. But one of the things that happened in her life was she started going to counseling. And she knew that I was really angry. The way my dad left was really painful. I've talked a little bit about that if you've been around and, um, and she wanted me to start going to counseling with her. Well, all I wanted to do was literally come home from school, watch Batman animated series, eat a, several bowls, bowls of cereal, take a nap, wake up and play some Sega Genesis, which is probably too old for you, and just listen to music. I, I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was isolating in a hardcore way. And so I told her time and time again, Mom, that's great. Counseling is good for you, but I'm not going. Well, this day in seventh grade, she meant business, and so she came into my room, she said, Sammy, get, get, get dressed, we're going to counseling, and I said, no, we're not, and she said, yes, we are, and I was in a panicked, sort of angry state, and I remember vividly, so I, I was like, what can I do, what can I do, and so I reached into my closet, and I pulled out an Easton baseball bat, and I held it up to my mom, and I said, we're not going anywhere, and my mom, you know, tears flooded down her cheeks, and, and then I started crying. And it was one of those moments. This is just one of those moments like I raised a baseball bat to my mom. I don't know what that moment is for you, but I do know this you will not sin against anyone in your life more than you've sinned against your parents. And we come to think about this whole idea of the fifth commandment. One of the things you have to realize is that part about this commandment is hard is because not only is that true, but that from the moment you were born, you were sort of this ball of selfishness that really did believe, I've got four kids, so I know that well, that really do believe that your parents exist solely to serve you, and so all you're about is you're self-absorbed, you're everything every waking moment, you look at them as their I'm the center of the world, they're sort of serving me and you're manipulating them. But then the flip side. Is there? We can also say that no one is going to sin against you more in your life than your parents. Whether your parents are Christians or whether they're far from the Lord doesn't really matter because the the amount of time in that relationship is so long. There's no one you're going to sin against more. There's no one who's going to sin more against you. So when we come to this commandment, what in the world do we do with it? And I sort of want to ask three questions as we, begin to, as we begin to think about sort of why this is so, you know, when God starts this, this side of the commandments, remember what we've said so far, that the first four commandments have everything to do with our relationship between us and God, and then the last six commandments have everything to do with our relationship with one another. Well, God starts it with the most fundamental relationship that we have is the relationship with your parents. It's a relationship that's near and dear to its heart. It's a relationship that is crucial in your life. Nothing is more crucial and he's calling us to honor them. What does that mean? Three questions I want to ask as you sort of think about what does it mean to begin to honor your parents. Here's first: what does honoring your parents look like? Second: why is honoring your parents hard? And then lastly: how in the world can you begin to honor them in the way that Jesus and the way that God wants you to? So first, what honoring them looks like. Second: why is it hard? And then lastly: how can you begin to honor them in the ways that are in a way that's honoring to God? So first, thing with me for a second about what does it mean. What honoring your parents looks like. Now, what's interesting, if you were to look at this commandment, the word that that God uses here is actually the Hebrew word kabod. And, And essentially it's a word that means something like heavy or weighty. If you know the Bible at all, you know that scene in Isaiah 6 where Isaiah's in the temple and God fills the temple. And the only word you can use is there was a heaviness to the glory of God. And what that word means is something that is so sort of weighty Something that is so significant that there's no way you can actually ignore it, and there's actually no way you can just sort of push push past it. It's something that's full of significance, it's full of meaning, and that's the word that God uses when He talks about how He wants us to relate to our parents. Is he wants us, there's something in us that He wants us to treat them with well, another way we can say it is just super seriously. He wants us to approach the relationship not only with with carefulness, that we're we're sort of listening, but there's also a sense he wants us to to approach that relationship as if it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important to him. And in fact, it's so important to him that some of the most uncomfortable parts of the Bible, like if we were to go one chapter over in Exodus 21, God actually says if, if if a child strikes their parents or if a child curses their parents, then that child should be put to death. And some of the most awkward and uncomfortable scenes in the Old Testament are those scenes where children are stoned. And there's a sense in which what God is saying is this is something that is so near to my heart, it's so serious that I'm actually willing to bring judgment day early on a child that persistently and rebelliously dishonors their parents, and I'm going to stop sort of this cancerous spread of a hatred of authority and a hatred of parents, such a point where they were stoned in the Old Testament. God takes it super seriously, but but what does it look like? So we can sort of say, okay, it means we're supposed to treat our parents with with a heaviness, with a weightiness. Well, what does that even look like practically in our lives? And I think there are actually, if you think about it, there are three things at least that when we think about what does that begin to mean, how do you honor them that it does mean. Here's the first. Three things, when you think about what does it mean to honor your parents, here's three things that I think at least that it means. Here's the first one. It means that to honor your parents means that you respect them. It means that even if they have different beliefs than you do, even if they raise your family in a different way than you're going to raise your kids, even if they have different convictions than you, there's a sense in which you're going to respect what they believe, even if they're not Christians. Like, I remember one of of my worst um, in-law moments... I was in seminary at the time and my mother-in-law, who's who's not at all a Christian, we were, somehow we were at Cheesecake Factory in Charlotte and we were like eating our desserts and then the light-hearted conversation about abortion came out. I don't know how that happens at Cheesecake Factory. (laughs) But it did and there we were. I was newly married to my wife. This is one of my early interactions with my mother-in-law and I've got pretty firm convictions about that that I think are very biblical. My mother-in-law has none of that. Didn't grow up in a Christian home. Very, very pro-choice. And I remember I did that thing where we were, like, kind of arguing about it, and she was, like, really passionate, and I was really passionate, and then it came time, the food came, and I was, like, going to say the blessing because I was in seminary, and I remember saying the blessing but like, praying against everything she believed, and one of those, like, sneaky, like, I can't say this to you, so I'm going to say this to Jesus, but it's really to you. You know how we do that because we suck as Christians sometimes. And I did that, and I remember I went home later that night, and I felt really convicted about it because I was like, I shouldn't, that's not the way to approach that. That as much as we may disagree, that was not a respectful way to handle that conversation. I literally called her and apologized to her, and that was really awkward, too. Yeah, I mean, but we had it. But all that to say, part of what it means to honor your parents is to to respect them. To really say, okay, I'm going to work as hard as I can to see why you believe that, To see why, part of what this means is, this means you should watch those shows that your parents watched that you didn't actually know people watched. That means, to respect them means that as differently as you might do your family, when you have your own family, you're going to go spend three to seven to ten awkward days where you sleep with your wife in your childhood bedroom. (laughs) I can't tell you how awkward that is. You're sort of like, I grew up here and then we got married and then we're sort of reliving the glory days of sometimes I like to say this is where the magic happened and by magic I mean literal magic um, <laughs> it's not true but uh, n- neither of those are true neither kinds of magic happened in my bedroom <laughs> so I'm trying to say <laughs> just to bring that let's move on so first respect you respect your parents but then second it means something more than respect it means you actually listen to them it means when you are looking for some kind of advice, you actually seek their advice. It means that you don't do that thing. Here's what I hate about you and me, is we are so condescending toward our parents. You really think you know more than them, and they really have lived so much longer than you. There's a part of me like that wants to say, don't be condescending to your mom, who I can attest to this as a parent who cleaned all of your throw-up up and cleaned your diapers and cleaned your poop off of her walls. Don't condescend to her. Act like she has something important to say, even if at the end of the day you're not going to follow what they say. Even at the end of the day you're going to not sort of, you know, you've still, you've got to make every effort to listen to what they're saying. <laughs> the thing that I, that I keep thinking about here is, is you think you know more than your parents. That's why you have a hard time listening to them. A lot of you. Jesus actually did know more than his parents. Like, he was God. And not only did he know more, like, he was better. He was perfect. And yet, everything in him as a child is listening to them. He, follow, he follows his dad. He's a carpenter. He follows his dad's trade. Got his hands dirty with his father. There was a sense of, that's part of what it looks like to him. Not only to respect, but to listen And to take to heart, to at least process and take to heart what they have to say to you about your life. Part of this means, you know, don't marry someone that you haven't processed that, that, you know, would this person be. Don't date or or marry someone that might not be, like, honoring to your parents. We could talk about the whole Christian, non-Christian thing. We're going to talk about that in a second. But even if your parents aren't Christians, there's a sense in which they they have wisdom and they're your parents. But then third, here's the third one that's going to make more sense as you get older, is to care for them. You listen, you respect them, you listen to them, and you care for them. And what I think the image here is you have an open heart toward them. And part of what that means now for you is you let them into your life. As painful as it is, you return their text message that sometimes you need a Rosetta Stone to understand. Uh, it means you call them back. I mean, I'm preaching to myself here too. It means you, you have an open heart toward your parents in a way where you really do sort of, you know, you want them to be part of your life, but you want to be part of their life. And especially as you get older, this is one of Jesus' main criticisms against the Pharisees, was the Pharisees did that thing where they saved up a whole bunch of money that they said was for God, and when they said for God, they meant it was for their own cushy retirement, and they let their parents just, as they got older, just you know, sort of shrivel and, and really struggle in financial difficulty instead of actually caring for their parents. And part of what Jesus is saying is that your responsibility as you get older is to care for them financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, Especially as they get older and you get older. But here's the question that I was thinking about that really hit my heart this week as I was preparing this. Is right now at this moment, do you treat your parents in a way that you'll be pleased if your kids treat you in the same way? Is the way you're treating your parents right now, would it be pleasing to you if your kids, when they're your age, when they're older, if they treated you the same way, would it be pleasing to you as a parent? And for a lot of us, we can say no. That we have not honored our parents in these ways. And why? That's the second thing I want to sort of ask: is, is why is it hard? And I think it's hard for two reasons. It's hard on the one hand because uh, we're proud. It's hard on the on the one hand because we're not only proud but we're self absorbed. Uh, it's interesting that God, you know, it's interesting the way that the commandments work. Is God doesn't have to command parents to love their children, but He does have to command children. To honor their parents. There's a sense in which you're a parent, there's something natural in you when you have a child, that you, there's a natural love that comes out of you. But when you're a child, there is not a natural honoring and love that flows out of you. There's a sense in which you are born proud and self-absorbed. That's why we sang in Psalm 51, You know, I don't know if you could sing that wholeheartedly, I am evil born in sin. No one knows that more than your parents. No one knows that you sort of actually think that you not only know more than them, but that you... You know, are sort of smarter than them, can, can approach things in ways that are wiser than them. The way that I keep thinking about it is, I don't know if you watch Walking Dead or not, but one of the parts of that show that's really hard for me is Carl. Um, Carl's in the show. The show is essentially a, a zombie, not really an apocalypse, but they're living in zombie times. And Rick is the sheriff who's sort of leading this whole community, and Carl is his son. And you kind of get to watch Carl grow up, but Carl is the worst like, every episode, I'm like, all right, let's let this be the episode where Carl, like, gets eaten by a zombie, and then, like, die. They shoot him in the head, too, so we, we're done with that storyline. Like, I don't know if you saw the episode this season where Carl, you know, his dad is is seemingly dying, and Carl has that episode where he's like, I don't need my dad anymore, like, I'm gonna go off and eat some pudding and, like, shoot some zombies, and, like, gonna let my dad die, because I'm a man now, and he's, like, ten, and you, everything in you wants to just, like, kill Carl yourself, or maybe that's me, and I need counseling for my anger. But you're Carl, and I'm Carl. There's a sense of which, you know, God takes pride incredibly seriously. You know, he says in his word, "God, you know, I oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble. And if you're not regularly inviting your parents' wisdom into your life, no matter how sort of, ugh, you think they are, there's something proud in you. And here's the thing, is is God can't use someone who's proud. Part of what God wants to do in you is grow deep humility in you. And I've never met a humble person that's still proud in their relationship toward their parents. I've never met a humble person that hasn't begun to understand part of what Scott was saying, that that I need to forgive my parents, but I also need my parents' forgiveness for being a proud, self-absorbed, manipulative child so first the first part why it's hard is 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 we're born sort of proud and self-absorbed but here's the second part that i think that makes it so hard is that sometimes we forget that our parents are people that our parents actually are nothing more than sinners just like us in need of the grace of the gospel you know dan allender is one of my favorite authors and he's a counselor and he has this book called how children raise parents and he's got this profound point that i think he says all of us are born asking two questions and those two questions are this. Am I loved and can I get my own way? That all of us fundamentally are born asking those two questions. Am I loved and can I have my can I get my own way? And your parents are the are the ones who, who first and most fully answer those two questions. And so he goes through four types of parents, and it's fun to think about what kind of parents did you have. He says, first there are the no-no parents. The parents that were really cold. Parents who said, no, you're not loved, and no, you can't get your own way. The parents who maybe were very legalistic and very strict on you, but you didn't, you didn't, they didn't verbally affirm you, but they were very, very strict with you. And some of you had those kind of parents. He says there are other kind of parents that are yes, yes parents. Yes, you're loved, and yes, you can get your own way. Those are the parents that, that was sort of more my, my parents' style, that were just sort of, I'd rather be your friend than your parent. I always think about Amy Poehler and Mean Girls, where she's like, remember the scene of Mean Girls where she like comes in, she's like, hey girls, what's happening, what's up? She talks in that you know, teenage way. Some of your parents were like that. They, they really were yes, yes parents. Yes, you're loved, but yes, you can get your own way, which you knew meant you weren't really loved. Then you have, sadly, no yes parents. No, you're not loved. Yes, you can get your own way. And those are parents who are more like landlords. They're just sort of around They maybe pay the bills, keep the lights on, but you have no real relationship. Or maybe that was the parent who work came first, and family came second, and you came second, and your games came second. And then the last con is the ideal con, which is yes, you are loved, but no, you can't get your own way. Which you and I instinctively know as real love. And the thing to understand is the Lord, that God himself is the only one that that loves you like that. Like there is no parent that perfectly says yes you were loved and no you can't get your own way. The Lord is the only one. So that means somewhere along that way your parents failed you because they're people, because they're sinners in need of, of the gospel just like you and I are. This really came home to me this past weekend. Uh, my wife was uh, out of town and I had the, I was being a single dad and I, I took I was trying to like get out of our house has become this like neighborhood kids central. And so I was like trying to avoid the house because I didn't want all these like neighborhood kids like flocking. We were thinking about putting a door up that's like closed or open just to keep the neighborhood kids at bay. So we decided to go to Harbison Forest, State Forest Park, and I'm taking the kids. And um, we have one of those moments where it's pretty rare, but after my son gets sick in the car, and he's like, Dad, pull over, I gotta throw up. So I pull over, he jumps out, he throws up outside. And by God's providence, we had this like, we never have a towel in our car, but we had like this one towel in our car. And uh, Eloise, my my third, my one of my daughters, she's five. I said, Eloise, hand after the towel. I was like, Praise Jesus, we have a towel. He can kind of like clean himself up, and we can like race home, get the throw up smell out of the car, and like get back to sanity. And Eloise, without thinking, takes the towel and throws it on the ground where all of his throw up is. And I like lost it. And I start yelling, like the top of my lungs yelling at my daughter Eloise, just like shaming her. And her, her pace. It was like watching in slow motion what your sin does to your children. But you can't stop it. And you can't take it back. And you and I all live with that. We all live with what our parents have done, no matter how good they were. And more than what we, what we need, all I could do with her at that point is, is immediately ask her forgiveness. And say, I should not have done that. That was really, really wrong of daddy. Will you please forgive me? And all she can do is is forgive me, as much as a five-year-old understands forgiveness. Part of me wants to say, though, that if you want to really know how to honor your parents, forgive them. There's no better way for you to honor them than to forgive them. I understand that, that sometimes your parents can make choices. Sometimes your parents can do things that really do forfeit their right to be your parent. Sometimes parents leave. Sometimes parents do awful things, and it, they, it really does. There's a, a godly sense in which forgiveness does not, the goal of forgiveness in, in the Bible is reconciliation, but forgiveness does not always equal reconciliation this side of, of heaven and earth. I understand that. But I do understand that one of the most profound ways, when we think about this relationship that is often so broken, one of the most profound things that we can do to honor our parents is to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us, is to say to them, even if they can never admit it to their death, that you hurt me, but I hurt Jesus. And instead of paying me back passive-aggressively all of my life, Jesus looked at my hurt, and he absorbed it, and he forgave me. And I want to do the same for you. And, and, and hopefully you have parents that are willing to do that with you as well. So first, what honoring your parents looks like. Second, why honoring your parents is hard. And then lastly, think with me a little bit. Well, how are we going to begin to, to be kids to, to be children, to be a son or to be a daughter that really can like joyfully honor and enter into a relationship with our parents, no matter how good or bad they were. And I think the, the bad news is that, that you have and I have fallen short. If you're honest with yourself, you know you haven't been what you should be as a son or as a daughter. But the good news, and this is the the best news that I have for you tonight, that that really I think that that you need and that I need, is that as bad of a child as you've been, as bad as a son and as bad as a daughter as you've been, the good news of the gospel is that God still wants you for his child. And that God has done everything in giving his child to make you his child. In giving his son to make you his sons and daughters. In, In giving his heart to bring you near to his heart. And that's why I wanted to read the, the John passage, is, is Jesus, you know, we're, we're, in, we're in the Lent season, and we're thinking about, we're getting closer to Easter, and, and I don't know if you've ever heard a, a series on the last words of the cross, but this is one of my very favorites. If you know the scene, we read it. The scene is basically this. Jesus has, has been betrayed. He's been falsely tried, and he's on the cross. And at the scene of the cross is his mom and a couple of her sisters and friends. And, they're, and literally Mary, who is a widow at this point. And in this culture, to be a widow means like Joseph has died. Jesus, she's looking at her most faithful son die on the cross. And she knows that not only is it painful to watch her son die. You can't imagine that as a parent. But she also knows that watching Jesus die means she has no security for the future. That she really is going to be a widow. We don't know where the other brothers and sisters were at this point, but they obviously weren't there. And there's a sense in which she's watching Jesus, and, and, and she's not only in incredible pain about watching Jesus, but she's also incredibly pain about her future. Who's going to take care of her? Who's going to be there for her? And Jesus, in the most amazing sense, like one commentator says, this is the best sermon in the fifth commandment ever preached. And Jesus preaches it from the cross, and he preaches it. If you've read the passage, it's weird because he literally says two very short phrases. He says, woman, that's your son. Friend, take her in. John, take her in. And the reason he's so short is literally his lungs have begun to collapse at this point. He's got shortness of breath, and he says these two things. But in the most amazing thing, he does, he does two incredible things. On the one hand, just practically, he honors his mom in an incredible way. If it's true of us that we're born self-absorbed and proud, here's Jesus, and he's anything, about, he's anything but that. He's dying. A point in which how could you be more self-absorbed than when you're dying, and yet he's thinking of others. He's thinking of his mom. And he's thinking about who's going to take care of my mom, and he says, I know he's going to take care of my mom, John is. And he provides for her from the cross. But then he's doing something much, much bigger, and he's doing it for us. Because not only is Jesus honoring his mom in the most incredible way, but Jesus is doing something much bigger. And what Jesus is doing in giving, in giving Mary and John to each other is he's creating a new family. Is he's saying, there's a new family now. It's called the family of God. And because my father is now your father, Mary, you're John's mother, and John, you're her son. You have a whole new family of mothers and fathers. You have a whole new family of brothers and sisters. And because of what I'm doing and giving myself as the perfect son, the son that you should be, the daughter that you should be, because of what I'm doing, you now have the privilege of being my father's son's. You have the privilege of not only being called to love like Jesus. Sometimes we think the Christian life is this. We think the Christian life is to love like Jesus loved. And if you're hearing me say, love your mom, love your dad like Jesus is loving his mom and loving his dad. That's partly true, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that before you can ever love like Jesus, you have to understand yourself as a child of God loved like Jesus. The kind of love Jesus deserves from the Father for this perfect spotless life is freely yours now because of what he's done for you on the cross. You might have been the most messed up, rebellious, outwardly child. You might be the most proud, smug, kept all the rules, but really didn't love your parents. Inwardly child. However, however it was that you dishonored your parents, God still wants you as his child. And God is the only Father who can love you with the perfect love. And God is the only Father that can forgive you with the perfect forgiveness. And God is the only Father that can love you in the ways that you're looking tonight to be loved. I'll close with this. I, I remember, vividly remember the first time I um, ever watched Finding Nemo. In, um, which is a weird thing to say because I can't say I vividly remember all the times I saw a child's film. But I was with my parents. In, I mean, I was with my um, kids, and we were watching it for the first time, and I remember vividly thinking as I was watching this sort of story, and I was watching, you know, the dad go after Nemo, and I remember thinking, watching, you know, this dad who, who, who swam the entire links, like there was nowhere he wouldn't swim, there was nowhere he wouldn't go, and I remember thinking to myself, literally crying as I'm watching it, thinking, I wish I had a dad like that. I wish I had a dad who, who would do anything and everything to love me with a relentless pursuing love. And I can remember I as being stopped in my tracks, and there are no voices. But you know sometimes the Lord just says things through his word. You I know? remember him saying, Sammy, you do have a dad like that. And it's me. I'm the father that you've been looking for your whole life. And that doesn't mean there's not going to be parts of your story and your, and your fatherlessness that aren't going to be hard. But it does mean when you begin to look to me as the only father that can love you perfectly, the only father that can be everything you need, then can you begin to honor your parents and love your parents as you should. Let's pray together. Lord, um, I pray that wherever we are in that relationship, Lord, some of us have lost parents. And There's just So hard And we don't really know Sometimes what you're doing In some of these hard broken Relationships and even lost Relationships And yet Lord I pray wherever we are um, That you would meet us That you would Bring your grace into our story That you would give us the courage To forgive that you would give us the hope that our parents might one day become Christians. And that you would give us the wisdom to even know how to begin to honor them in a way that's honoring to you. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Sunday House felt so alone you left to see your girlfriend And won't be coming home It's so hard to call you We've been on the road I know it's not the like you But it's the only life I know Yeah